church. And Pastor Gary's gone at general council today uh, with uh, our whole fellowship got together and, and uh, they're doing business for the next couple of years of what God is doing through the Assemblies of God. So exciting times of what God is doing down there. And uh, so I'm so thankful to get an opportunity uh, to preach, to share the word with you this morning. Uh, over the last several weeks, uh, this whole summer, in fact, we have been uh, looking at the stories of Elijah and Elisha. And this morning we're going to continue uh, this series, Elijah and Elisha. Uh, you know, as Christians, we're not supposed to have anxiety. We're not supposed to worry. Uh, the Bible tells us, in fact, that uh, if we do worry, if we do have anxiety, that we're supposed to present those things to God, that we're supposed to give them to him. We're supposed to, in prayer, tell him, God, this is what's going on. This is what I'm worried about. And, and it also says we're supposed to do that with thanksgiving. Uh, you know, so we, should need, we need to be thankful and say, oh, God, thank you for this and for this and for this. And when we realize all the things that God's blessed us with, we, we realize that our problems, that our worries, that our stress, our anxiety, it's really not all that bad. Now, I say all that to say this, that there's still one area in my life, I'm, I'm a fairly stress-free kind of a guy, uh, but there's an anxiety in my life that I just can't get over with. And uh, that anxiety is hoping that my name is going to get drawn for a door prize someday. All right? I don't know if any of you other, anybody else in here has that same feeling, but I feel like my name never gets called for those stinking prizes. It's just like, why do I even try anymore? My whole life, I feel like I'm putting my name in baskets and no one ever calls my name, except for one time. I was in the fifth grade. Um, and uh, we had just transitioned to a new school. My school was uh, elementary, K through four, but fifth grade, I got to go to the middle school. It was in another town. It was exciting. So it was kind of orientation day. And uh, they drew five names out of the bucket. And mine was one of those names. And it was so big in my life, I still haven't forgotten it to this moment. And uh, our school mascot was the Bobcats. So the prize that I won that day was a Beanie Baby Bobcat. I mean, like, Pretty special. There's a lot of things you can win in door prizes, but I won a bobcat. And it's the only thing I feel like I've won my entire life. And uh, so I get stressed out about these things, right? It's just like, man, I'm never going to win one of these things. It's just, it shouldn't, you know, you sit there and it's just like, I'm not even, even going to get my hopes up this time. I know they're not going to call me. But maybe they will because now I'm not stressed out about it, you know. And, and you're thinking these deep thoughts. And, uh, you know, but you get to that time where it's just like, forget it. I'm not even going to participate anymore. It's not going to work. I got to that point once. I wrote somebody else's name down and I stuck it in the bucket. Guess who won a free vacation? <laughs> the person whose name I wrote down. It's just like, man, I can't win these things. You get stressed out. Well, sometimes I feel like we feel that way about our prayers, where it's kind of like we're throwing these prayers out, but it's kind of like just throwing our name in a bucket, and our name is never going to get drawn. You ever feel that way? Like you pray, and it's like, does God, does God really hear me? Do my prayers really matter? Do my prayers really matter? Because, I mean, there's 7 billion people on this planet, and I'm just one of them. Does God really have the time to listen? Does God really have the time to care about what I have to say? I'm not important. I'm no one special. Am I really worth it? Do my prayers matter? And if you go down that road far enough, you, you can begin to think, do I really, should I even pray anymore? Is, is it worth it? Or at least 
you might see, is prayer really all that valuable? Right? And you start to begin to struggle. You start to have doubts in your life. And maybe some of you are there this morning. Well, this morning, if you open up your Bibles to 2 Kings uh, chapter 4, again, we want to continue looking at Elijah and Elisha. And I believe that this text this morning can shed some light uh, on that question of, do my prayers uh, really matter? Do they, they really make an impact? Uh, through this series, Elijah and Elisha, they've been the, the main characters of the story. They've been the pivotal uh, people. But today, even though Elisha is going to be mightily used by God, and in fact, Elisha is going to be used to perform uh, a top-notch miracle, right? Now, God doesn't rank miracles as far as like, you know, greatest to least, but uh, if we look at it from a human standpoint, like, this was top-notch. This wasn't just like multiplying bread, you know, so everyone was... Uh, this was more along the lines of calming the storm type of, of miracle. This was, this was a powerful one. And God uses Elisha in a powerful way. But, but really, the main character of the story isn't Elisha. The main character of this story is a woman. Uh, she's an unnamed woman. Doesn't even give her a name. In fact, they just call her the Shunammite woman because she's from the town called Shunem. And this woman has a remarkable amount of faith in a time and place where there was very little faith in the nation of Israel. See, even though the nation of Israel was God's promised people, uh, during the times of Elijah and Elisha, this was a nation that was rebelling against God. They were serving false gods. So even though it was in the nation of God's people, she stood out because she was one of the few who said, I still want to remain faithful to God. But in the midst of this culture and in the midst of her circumstances, this unnamed woman, again, she remained faithful to God. And at the end of this passage, uh, I'll, I'll give you a little spoiler. We'll see that God answers her prayers. So this morning, I want to look at what made her special. Why did her prayers matter compared to anyone else's prayers? Why did, why did God answer her prayers? So in 2 Kings uh, chapter 4, I want to start with verse 8 this morning, and it reads this way. One day, Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold, now I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. So in this passage, uh, we're introduced to this unnamed woman. And again, since she's from this city in northern Israel called Shunem, uh, she's referred to the rest of this story as the Shunammite. Uh, Elisha will continue to refer to her like, go get the Shunammite. Talk to the Shunammite. So she doesn't even uh, have a name other than the Shunammite woman. And the first thing that we learn about her is that she is very wealthy. Uh, she's a woman of great wealth. And typically, wealth and faith don't go hand in hand. Usually those are, are opposites. Wealthy people, they think they can do it all themselves, and uh, they don't usually follow God. But uh, in this case, she puts them both together. She has wealth and she has faith. In fact, Jesus said that it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy person to get into heaven. Right? He said, man, this is a hard thing. Uh, because the problem with wealth is that wealth doesn't satisfy. The more we have, uh, the more that we want. 
But that's not what happened with the Shunammite woman. She was wealthy, and, and not only was she faithful, she was generous. She was giving. She used that, that wealth in a positive way to advance the kingdom of God. And she was moved by the ministry of Elisha. She saw what he was doing. She saw probably the miracles that he was performing. She saw that he was a man of God, and she wanted to help him complete his ministry. So it started out that she saw him one day and, and thought, you know, that guy looks a little hungry out there. He looks a little thin, and uh, he could use some good food. So she called him over and said, hey, come on, you, you need to eat something. So she fed him, right? And uh, all of a sudden, he started to kind of cross by her house a little bit more often, right? Because uh, that was the place to go, and she continued uh, to feed him and, and give him meals. And that was kind of his new uh, stop in Shunem was, was this lady's house, do you have somebody like that in your life? You know, maybe a mom or a grandma who just, every time they look at you, like, did you eat yet? You know, did you, here, I just made some cookies for you. You know, that was the kind of person uh, that the Shunammite woman was. She was always feeding Elisha. So she started out with free lunches, but then she realized that she had even more to give than, than simply food. Uh, so she turned her house, she turned this restaurant, so to speak, now into a bed and breakfast. Not only was it a place to eat, but it was a place for Elisha to stay. Uh, so she, she got walls together, she got a bed, she got a table, she got a lamp, she made all the fixings so that Elisha would have a nice place to stay any time that he passed through. And I bet that Elisha probably passed through a little bit more often than he used to. He kind of made that a stop on the way because he knew this was a place that he could go. This was a safe place. This was a place where he could be restored, that he could uh, find rest. See, this woman, she used God's blessing to advance God's kingdom. She used God's blessing to advance God's kingdom. What has God blessed you with this morning? What's he blessed you with? What do you have excess of that you can use to advance God's kingdom? Uh, typically, we think we have to, to be wealthy in order to be generous. Like, if I just had more money, then I could give some of it away. But in reality, if, if we're not generous with the little that we have, then we're not going to be generous if we have a lot. It starts small, and it works its way bigger. Again, we don't have to have money to be generous. The Shunammite woman, she had some extra food and an extra place to stay. What do you have extra of? What do you have excess of? What has God blessed you with that you can use to advance God's kingdom? Right? Again, it doesn't have to be, be money. It can be something else. It could be an extra bedroom. It could be extra food. Or, or maybe you've got extra time on your hands and you can use that. See, there are more ways to be generous than simply money. I think just a couple weeks ago, we had uh, one of our teenagers, uh, they saw a need. They saw a need, a house needed to be repainted and, and redone on the outside. And, and uh, so they thought, you know what? I've got extra time. I can do that. And so they, they got to work right away. They got out there, started scraping off the old paint and getting to work. And a few people saw and took notice of, of what she was doing. And more and more gathered around her and, and built around her. Uh, one day there was, uh, I think it was about 15 people out there helping her out because they said, you know what? She's got time. I've got time. I can help out. I can make that happen. And she's still in the, the middle of that project, but getting closer to finishing. But you don't have to be wealthy to be generous. God wants us to be generous no matter uh, where we are because we all have excess of something. So what do you have? What do you have? What has God blessed you with that you can advance God's kingdom? Now, generosity may have played a part 
maybe a small part in what made the Shunammite woman special, in what made her prayers matter. But we're going to continue to look more at that. Now, Elisha had really enjoyed, uh, as we look in the story, Elisha had really enjoyed the Shunammite's uh, generosity, the free meals and the free place to stay. And at this point, he was probably feeling a little guilty, right? Because uh, it was more of just a a take-and-take take relationship. She didn't, he didn't give anything back to her. Uh, so he was trying to find a way to repay her uh, for her hospitality. Uh, so continuing on in verse 11, it says this. One day he came there, and he turned into the chamber, and he rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call the Shunammite. When he had called her, she stood before him, and he said to him, Say to her now, See, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, what then is it is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, well, she has no son and her husband is old. He said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway and he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son about that time the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. I'll stop there for a moment. Have you ever owed somebody something? I'm not talking money, but I'm talking uh, you owed them because, you know, your neighbor came over and helped you on a project. And, uh, you know, it's just they went above and beyond. Or, or somebody lent you some tools or something to use, and it's just like, ah, oh, they didn't need to do that, but it was just that was so kind of them. Or you broke down on the side of the road, and, and somebody came and pulled you out and got you back up and going or helped change your tire or whatever it might be. You ever owed somebody something? I think that's the way that Elisha was feeling here. He was just like, man, she just gives and gives to me. Like, I, I need to give her something back. Uh, he owed her a debt of gratitude. So Elisha, he pulls out the biggest connections that he's got to try to repay this woman, right? He has connections with the king and with the commander of the army. I mean, the two most powerful men uh, in the kingdom, and he pulls out those connections. And, and, you know, if you want some more land, if you want a law change, if you need an enemy taken out or just an annoying neighbor taken out, Elisha's got the connections. He can make that happen, right? And uh, so Elisha was a good guy to have you to owe you a favor. Now, most people in this situation, if Elisha said, hey, put in a good word for the king, commander of the army, if somebody said that to you, uh, you know, the typical response would be, well, I guess I do have a, a list of things that uh, could be taken care of. Uh, you know, I double parked my donkey the other day, and I could really use your help taking care of that ticket. Or, you know, my neighbor, I think he moved that boundary stone a couple weeks ago. And, uh, man, if you, could, if you could get that moved, you know, maybe give me a few extra feet in my yard, that would be great. You know, that, that would be the typical response. But not the Shunammite woman. She responded with, I dwell among my own people, or I already have enough. I've got all that I need. I'm, I'm happy here. I don't need anything else. See, she didn't give to Elisha so that she could receive. She gave out of the goodness of her heart. She gave because she had been given to. She gave because she saw purpose and importance behind what Elisha was doing. See, not only was this woman generous, but she didn't expect anything in return. She was content. 
She was content. She was content with what she had. What she had was enough for her. See, contentment is not a characteristic of the American culture we live in. I mean, you're not going to find that that characteristic among many people in America because we live in the culture of more and better, right? We always need something more. We always need something better. We always need that newest and latest upgrade. I mean, just, just watch some commercials. Just turn on the TV this afternoon and you watch a few commercials and you'll be convinced that you deserve better, right? You deserve to have it your way. You deserve to have uh, your phone to be, have all the latest gadgets. You deserve to have Wi-Fi in your car, right? Uh, it'll tell you all these things that you deserve. You deserve this, you deserve this, you deserve this. When in reality, what they're saying is, no, we just want more money. So we're going to tell you that you deserve more. We live in a culture of more and better. And in that culture, contentment easily fades away. Contentment is hard to be found because we always think we need the latest and the greatest. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness plus contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. See, church, everything we have is just, it's just stuff. It says we can't take anything out of this world. Eventually, all of our stuff is going to turn into garbage. We're not going to have it anymore. The only thing we can take out of this world is our relationship with Jesus. That's all that matters. That's the only thing that is going to last is our relationship with Jesus because it gives us eternal life. So to be content, all we need is godliness, our relationship with Jesus, and, and just to be satisfied with what we have. If we have our basic needs, man, that's enough. That's enough. We don't need the latest. We don't need the greatest. But we can be satisfied with what we have now because we have Jesus. He's our source. He provides our needs. He meets us where we are. So contentment, this was another characteristic that made this unnamed woman special. Perhaps it was why her prayers mattered. So this woman is generous. She is content. But let's keep reading. Uh, Starting with verse 18, we're going to continue the story here. It says, when the child had grown, this, this promised child that God had given her, he went out one day to his father among the reapers. And he said to his father, oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. She said, all is well. Then she saddled the donkey and she said to her servant, urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So God blesses this woman with a son, right? Uh, Something that she's always wanted. Uh, She didn't ask for it. She didn't uh, tell Elisha, this is what I want. But but God knew her heart and he revealed that to uh, Elisha and God blessed her. God blessed her. He gave her this gift. And years later, the son is suddenly in much pain. 
Now, the Bible didn't say what, what he had, just that he, his head was in severe pain. So the father, he tells his dad, dad, my, my head's really hurting. And, and the father, like, like any good father would do in a desperate situation where his son is in a lot of pain and it's a big crisis, he says, son, go talk to your mother, right? And uh, he sends him off. He goes to his mom and, and he sits in his, her lap all day uh, till noon and says, and then he dies. The son dies. This, this son of promise dies. She hadn't asked for this gift but it was given anyway, and, and now it was being taken away from her. I mean, most people in this, resp- in this situation, I mean, they'd start responding with, God, why? God, this doesn't make sense. I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask for this gift, but you gave it to me, and now you're taking it away from me? God, why? How could you do this to me? I thought you wanted to bless me. Now you're taking it away from me. That's that's how we'd probably respond. But the Shunammite woman, she has a surprise response to this terrible news. You'd think there'd be a lot of crying. You'd think there'd be a lot of mourning. You'd think there'd be a lot of questioning God. You'd think that there'd be a lot of anger and bitterness stirring inside of her. You'd think she'd tell her husband that their son was dead. But she didn't. She went out and said, Get me a donkey, get me a one-way ticket to the man of God. Don't slow down for anything. What's wrong? All is well, right? She was just saying, we're going for this. It's not over with yet. So she placed the son, and she placed him in the room of Elisha. She placed him on his bed. This, this, this room that she had marked out as holy, for a holy man of God, this was a sacred place. It was almost as though she was putting her son on the altar, And saying, God, I'm going to trust in you. So before I call this thing, before I go out and tell my servant, before I go out and tell my husband that our son's a lost cause, that he's died, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to put our son on this altar. And I'm going to go. See, this woman, she had a confidence. She had a stubbornness. She had a trust that God was going to handle it. She was not ready to accept that this was all that God had for her. While she might have been content with the wealth, with the possessions that she had, she was not content in her pursuit of God. She was not satisfied to believe in a small God. She was not satisfied to believe that God wasn't able. She wasn't satisfied to believe that this was it. She was not content in her relationship with God. She believed there was more. Church, in your walk with God, Never be satisfied. Never be satisfied. Never be just comfortable in your walk with God. We always need to be desperate for more of God. Because we can never get enough of Him. We serve an infinite God. We serve an infinite God. We we serve a God who has no beginning and a God who has no ending. We can always get to know Him more. We can always become more like Him. We can always spend more time with Him. Never give up in your pursuit of God. Never give up in your pursuit of God. I mean, look at the trust that this woman had. She just set the boy down on this this altar, this holy space. She didn't even tell anyone he was dead. She didn't run for help. She ran straight to God, or at least as close to God as she knew how to get. I want that kind of stubborn faith. I don't know about you, but I, I want that kind of stubborn faith that 
that has so much trust and so much confidence in God that I go to him first before I go anywhere else. See, her unwavering trust in God made her special. Perhaps that's why her prayers mattered. So let's continue reading uh, what happened to the rest of this journey. The second half of verse 25 reads this way. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Look, there is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, All is well. Again, she didn't answer negatively. She said, No, everything's fine. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, Did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? And let's pause there for a moment. See, the Shunammite woman, she was on a mission. She was pursuing God, and she was not going to let anything get in her way. When Elisha's servant came to meet her, she brushed him aside, and she just said, like, everything's fine. It's okay. I just want to go talk to the man of God. I'm going to go straight to Elisha, the man who speaks with God. I don't want to talk to an assistant. I don't want to get put on hold. I'm going to get close to the source as possible. She was determined. It's kind of like if you ever call the customer service hotline or a government agency before and you're sitting there and you're waiting for an hour and you finally get through to a person on the other end of the line and then they can't fix the problem that you need to answer or answer that question. It's just like, put me through to your manager, please. Like right now, take me to the boss. Put me on the line with somebody who has power and someone who has authority, right? And you kind of, when you're waiting on the phone for an hour, uh, the politeness kind of wears off after listening to hold for that long. And you're just, you're determined. You're ready to get to the person uh, who knows the most. And that's the way the Shunammite woman was. She's just, no, I don't want an assistant. I don't want to be put on hold. I don't want to wait any longer. The time is urgent. I need to go straight to the source, and the closest person I know that is to God is the prophet. The man of God is Elisha. I want to go straight to him. So that's what she did. Once she reached Elisha, she fell at his feet. Now, back in those days, this would be very inappropriate. This wasn't right for her to do for a woman to fall at the feet of this man of God. And so Gehazi, the servant, he tried to push her away, but, but there was no stopping her. See, she had been strong until now, but, but now all bets were off. This was her last chance. This was her, this was her opportunity to be able to present her request to God. She hadn't told her husband. She hadn't told the servants. But now she'd reached her designation, and now she began to show her desperation. See, she broke the norms in her pursuit of God. She broke the norms in her pursuit of God. She fell at the feet of this man. She wasn't supposed to do that. But she said, I don't care. I'm desperate, and I'm going to give it all I got. She broke the norms in her pursuit of God. In our pursuit of God, we need to be willing to break outside of our comfort zone. We need to be willing to break the norms. Church, if following Jesus was easy, then everyone would be doing it. But, but Jesus said that if we want to be his disciples, then we need to deny ourselves, we need to take up our cross daily, and we need to follow him. That doesn't sound easy to me. We need to deny ourselves. We need to say, you know, I want this, 
But that's not what God wants for me. So we need to take up our cross daily and follow him. It says we need to be willing to die daily for Jesus. We need to be willing to sacrifice it all. It doesn't sound easy to me. And it says we need to follow him. Not follow our own will, not follow our own way. We need to follow him. See, to follow Jesus, to pursue God, we're going to have to break some social norms. We're going to have to break some things that are just, everybody else is like, why are you doing that? That doesn't seem right. See, you may have to break the norms in your household to pursue Jesus. I don't know what your household is like right now, but maybe it's weird to pray in your house. Well, it's time to break the norms. It's time to break the norms. Maybe, maybe it's weird to do a family devotional in your house. But it's time to step up and lead and break the norms. Maybe it's weird to put on worship music in your house. Well, it's time to break the norms. So you may have to break the norms in your workplace to follow Jesus, to pursue Jesus. It may be weird to share a verse with your coworker, but church, it's time to break the norms. It, it may be weird to share what Jesus has done to help you overcome things in your life, but there's people out there who need to know. There's people out there who are going through the same things you've gone through, and it's time to break the norms. It may be weird to pray for a friend who's going through a hard time, but it's time to break the norms, church. And it may be weird to invite someone to church. They may think you're goofy. They may think you're strange. They may think that, man, they just love Jesus way too much, and I don't want anything, any part of them. You may lose a friendship. But church, it's time to break the norms. It's time to live differently because Jesus didn't call us to live a life where we blend in with society. He called us to live differently. He called us to live for him. And if breaking some social norms is what we got to do, then it's time we do that. If we want to see God answer our prayers, if we want to see God move, then we need to step out and we need to break some norms in our pursuit of God just like this woman did. Let's keep reading. There's still more to the story. In verse 29, says this. He said to Gehazi, tie up your garment and take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply and lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead, and he laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore, he returned to meet him and told him, the child has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. Let's pause there for a minute. Now, I find several things interesting about this passage. Uh, the first one being this. Uh, we see this in verse 25, that the place that the Shunammite woman met Elisha was Mount Carmel, right? And, and Mount Carmel was kind of famous at this time because it had been the most public display of God's power in this generation. Uh, a little while ago in 1 Kings chapter 17, uh, or in 1 Kings, uh, we see that Elijah goes up and he challenges the prophets of Baal uh, to a little challenge. He says, you go and uh, you prepare your sacrifice, I'll prepare mine. You pray to your gods, and I'll pray to the God, and we'll see who wins, right? And uh, so they, they, they prayed, they cried out. Uh, after a while, Elijah started mocking them and, and telling them, like, maybe your God's asleep. 
Maybe he's in the restroom. You know, maybe you need to yell louder. Maybe he's hard of hearing. And they keep trying and they keep trying, but nothing happens. And Elijah goes over to his uh, sacrifice when it's his turn, and he gets people to dump water on the sacrifice to make it even harder. And he prays a simple prayer, and God lights that thing up, and, and he consumes that sacrifice, right? I mean, it was a great win for the kingdom of God that day to show the one true God. And, and so this, this woman, she goes to Mount Carmel, a place where God had displayed his power before. The second thing I find interesting is, is that Elisha sends his servant with his staff to go lay it on the boy, right? So Elisha sends this staff along. Now, uh, in biblical times, staffs were important. These, these rods were important. You see uh, in the life of Moses, right? Uh, God used Moses' staff first to show that he was chosen. He would throw his staff on the ground, and it would turn into a snake. And he'd pick it back up, and it would turn back into a staff. You know, there's power in that staff. Uh, he... He struck a rock with it, and water came out of the rock, right? The staff was powerful. Aaron, his right-hand man, uh, he, his staff, to show that he was chosen, even though it was just a stick, it began to blossom and bloom and have buds on it, right? So, so this was kind of like a sign. It was, it was the sign of, that was the spiritual shepherd. Elisha was the spiritual shepherd of the nation of Israel, and this was his staff, right? So this sacred staff, they thought, well, if we just send this ahead, and we put this on the boy, like, this could do it. And, and he sent Gehazi ahead with the staff, and he put it on there, and he's waiting for the fireworks to happen, and nothing happened. It didn't work, you know. It, I wonder if he just, like, tapped him on the head a little bit more, like, come on, you know. Maybe this thing isn't on. Is it need some batteries? And, and so that didn't work. So they went to Mount Carmel, this place where God had moved. That, that didn't work. They, they used this, this sacred staff. And that didn't work. And finally, uh, Elisha himself, the man of God, came into the room. You know, when we get into a desperate situation, we, we tend to turn to the last thing that worked, right? We, we tend to go to the last place that worked. Well, I prayed at this altar. And man, when I, when I prayed, you know, it was just right over here in the church. And, and that's where God's presence moves, you know, so, so we run back to that same place. Or, or maybe it's like we, we go to that, that method, you know, we, we go back to that process. Well, when I prayed for one hour and I listened to this song, then, man, God really moved. He answered that prayer. So we go back and we try to do that same thing again. Or, or, or we go to that person that prayed for us. Well, when, when so-and-so prayed, man, God's presence moved, so I'm going to go back to them. And so we, we try to get our prayers answered. We try to make our prayers matter by, by going to the right place or doing the right things or saying the right things or, or asking the right people to pray. But even though this woman went to Mount Carmel, even though they used the sacred staff, even though she went to Elisha himself, none of those things raised her son from the dead. See, church, prayers are not powerful because of the place the process, or because of a perfect person, but they're because of the God. Prayers are powerful because of who we pray to, not the manner in, way, in, in how we pray them. Prayers are powerful because we pray to the right God. We are praying to the creator of the universe, the beginning and the ending. We are not praying to a limited God, but a limitless God. We are not praying to a God who is far off, but a God who is present and knows your inmost being. He knows your deepest thoughts and your deepest desires. 
That's why prayer is powerful. It's not because of us, but it's because of who we're praying to. We can't do the impossible, but we serve a God who can. So let's see what happens when God comes in to this story. More than a mountain, more than a method, more than a man. Let's see what happens when God comes into this story. Uh, So in verse 33, it says, So he went in, so Elisha went in and he shut the door behind the two of them, just Elisha and the dead son, and he prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again, and he walked once back and forth in the house, and he went up and he stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. So he called her, and when she came to him, he said, Pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. You see, Elisha realized that he wasn't the reason for the miracles. He wasn't the reason for the miracles, but it was God working through him. So the first thing that he did when he entered that room was he prayed. God, I can't do this, but I know you can. God, would you heal this this son? Would you heal this promised son? Church, when you face a situation that is too big uh, for you to handle, our first response should always be prayer. That should be our first response is to pray. See, prayer is not a last line of defense, but it should be viewed as our first mode of attack. Prayer is powerful. It connects us with the God of unlimited power. And we need to stop viewing prayer as a cry for help and start viewing it as our strongest spiritual weapon. Elisha understood that. That's why he started out with prayer. See, Elisha prayed, and then, then it got, got kind of weird. I don't know if you guys thought that, but it kind of got weird, right? He, he got up on the boy, and he laid on him, and, and it's just like, isn't prayer enough, right? Uh, but if you look back at 1 Kings 17, um, Elisha's mentor was Elijah. And Elijah had, had the opportunity for God to use him to raise someone from the dead. And uh, his method was he laid on uh, the, the dead body three times, and then God raised him from the dead. First he prayed, then he, then he laid himself on the body three times, and, and he did that. So I can only imagine that as Elijah and Elisha are, are walking and talking, and, and he's mentoring them, you know, Elijah just says to Elisha one day, now, if you ever come across a dead person that you need to raise back to life, Here's the process. First, you got to pray, but then after that, you just keep laying on them as many times as you can until eventually they come back to life. For me, it was three times, all right? So that's, that's probably what's in his mind. Maybe Elisha came into that room, and he's just like, all right, so pray and then lay on the guy. All right, I got this, right? So he goes in the room, and he prays. He prays, and then he's like, okay, I'm going to remember my training. I'm going to get on there. And so he puts his eyes to his eyes, his hands to his hand, his mouth to his mouth. He's like, I'm going to do this as literally as possible. And and he lays on him, and he's like, wow, something's happening. This boy's getting warm. And he gets back up, and and he goes around the room again. He's probably praying again, gets back on the boy. All of a sudden, the boy starts sneezing, right? And I wonder if Elisha's just like, that was not in the manual, all right? Like, I did something wrong. Uh, but, But he continues to pray, and God raises this boy from the dead back to life. I mean, how amazing would that be to, to see that happen? 
God moved in a powerful way. God, God answered the Shunammite woman's prayer. And the Shunammite woman, she came in, and, and again, she threw the norms out the window. She threw the, the standard procedures and policies out the window. She bowed at Elisha's feet again. Not so much to thank Elisha, but to thank God for what he had done. To let him know, God, how can I ever repay you? God, I am so grateful. And she continued to break the norms. And, and, and she took hold of her son again. I mean, what an amazing account of God's power in this woman's face. She stopped at nothing to pursue God, and God responded. Now, it doesn't say the rest of the story here, but I'm still wondering about that dad and like his response to it. He, he didn't know that his son had died. So, you know, the son probably comes back out later that day out into the field, and the dad probably looks at him like, where have you been all day? Like, you had a headache? Back in my day, you know, when I was your age, I had a headache, and I, you know, and I can just see where that story would go, but it's just kind of, the dad never knew that his son was, was dead and raised to life. Now, I, I love in this account that, that a woman, an unnamed woman, was able to see the impossible happen in her son's life because she was tenacious in her pursuit of God. In her case, she had to go through Elisha, the man of God, to be able to present her request to God. But church, I'm so thankful that we have a Savior, that we have a mediator, we have Jesus, that between that time and now, Jesus came, lived a perfect life, he died on a cross for our sins, so that we could be forgiven, so that we don't have to run to Mount Carmel, we don't have to go find a prophet, we don't have to go find a man of God, but we can speak to God no matter where we are. We, we can have a, a conversation with God. We can pray, and God hears, and God responds because Jesus died on the cross for us. We have such an amazing gift through Jesus. See, if God can answer the prayer of an unnamed woman in the Bible, then he can answer your prayer as well. He can answer your prayer as well. Prayer isn't like putting your name in a raffle and hoping that your name gets drawn. God hears our prayers. But let's look to the story of this woman to see how we can best have our prayers answered so we can pray prayers that matter. See, the things we, we saw today in this life is that she was generous, she was content, she trusted God, she was willing to break social norms, and above all, she sought God. Really, if you break that down, there's, there's, there's three things in there that I think are just so key to praying prayers that matter. First off is that she prayed to God. That's the most important thing. She prayed to God. She prayed to the only person, the only God who could do anything about her situation. The second thing was that she was right with God. She may have been wealthy, but that wasn't a strike against her because she served God with everything that she had. She was generous. She was content. She followed God. She advanced his kingdom. She was right with God. And the third thing was that she was fervent. I mean, she went all out. She was willing to break the norms. She was willing to go the distance. And she didn't give up. James chapter 5 puts it this way. It says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So again, Elijah, the Shunammite woman, they were just like us. 
They were normal people. There wasn't anything special about them. But yet God answered their prayers because they prayed to God. It says the prayers of a righteous person. They were right with God. They were following God. And it says that they prayed fervently. She went after God fervently. She, she went after God with everything that she had. And that's why she prayed prayers that matter. So I want to invite the worship team, if you'd come back up. We're going to close with a song this morning. But church, I, I want you to be able to pray prayers that matter. I want you to be able to pray prayers that matter. And it, it all happens because we pray to God because we're right with God and that we don't give up. So this morning in this place, if, if uh, maybe that being right with God is the thing that's stopping you up this morning. You know that there's things that, that aren't right between you and God, or, or perhaps you, you've never come to him, you've never accepted him. Well, this morning you can change that. This morning you can, you can make sure that you're right with God. And, and the way you do that is simply through confessing it to him, saying, God, I've messed up. There's things in my life that, that aren't right. But God, I want your forgiveness. I believe you died on a cross for me. I believe uh, that you rose again. And this morning, just simply by saying that, by praying from your heart, God can make you right with him. I mean, instantly. God forgives us as though we had never sinned before. And we can be in that right relationship with God, whether it's your first time or whether there's just things in your life that, man, you know you need to get right. You can do that this morning. You know, or, or maybe, you know, I've got that right relationship with God down. But maybe you don't have that fervent part down. Maybe you've been struggling with, God, do my prayers really matter? And, and doubt's begun to creep into your life. Well, this morning, church, God's not intimidated by your doubt. He's not intimidated by you asking tough questions. He encourages it. Because eventually you'll find the truth. And the truth is that God's been faithful. God is there for you. And even if it feels like you're not being heard, he's heard every cry, he's heard every prayer that you've had. The key is don't give up. The key is keep pressing in. Keep praying bold prayers. Keep going after God. This woman had a dream. She believed God's going to raise my son. God's not, God's not done with him yet. There's more. And she went all out. She did everything she could to seek God out. Church, keep seeking this morning. Keep going this morning. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to pray. And uh, we're just going to sing this one song. And, and, and I encourage you. Uh, these altars are open. I encourage you to find a spot at this altar. Find a spot to uh, seek after God, to go after him, to pray some more bold prayers. Or even in your seat this morning, pray some bold prayers. Maybe there's, there's a family member you've been praying for for years and you just feel like they're just never going to come. They're never going to know God. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep praying. Maybe it's for a healing that you're just like, I, I don't know. God just doesn't seem to be hearing me or answering me. Don't give up, church. Continue to pray bold prayers.
Maybe you need to start some new bold prayers. But I challenge you this morning, don't give up. There's more. We serve an unlimited God. So I want to pray, and, and, and again, you're free to go uh, after we pray, but, but let's just sing together this song. Let's seek God in this song. As you leave this morning, again, the Gideons are going to be in the back. Uh, don't forget to, to give, uh, bless that ministry and uh, put Bibles in the hands of more people so the Word of God can get out there. But let's pray this morning. Jesus, we pray to you. We pray in the name of Jesus, the name above all other names. God, we don't run to anyone else. God, we run to you because you're the God of the impossible. You're the creator of the universe. You're the beginning and the end, and we trust in you this morning. So, Lord, we pray that you would divinely intervene, God, with, with issues, with problems, with impossible situations. We pray that you would restore relationships. We pray that you would mend relationships. God, we, we pray that you would rescue people who are in financial things that they just can't seem to get out of. God, we pray for healing this morning. God, we pray for healing in the name of Jesus. God, do what doctors can't do. Do what only you can do this morning. God, we pray for family members, for friends, for neighbors, for loved ones who don't know you. God, we pray again and again and again. God, may they come to know you. God, would you use us to spread your fame, to spread your name in their lives? God, we pray bold prayers this morning. Lord, if there's anyone in this room this morning who doesn't know you, God, who has sin that's come in and it's separated them from you, God, I, I pray that they would surrender to you this morning that they would simply say, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. God, following you, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. But Lord, it's worth it. It's worth it. So if there's anyone here this morning, God, I pray that they would surrender to you. We pray bold prayers today. We pray them fervently. God, we're chasing after you. We're not going to give up. We may have to break some social norms this morning. We may have to step outside of our box and come up front, even though that feels unnatural to us. But God, it doesn't matter because we're pursuing you. Moving us this morning. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Respond in the way that only you can this morning. In Jesus' name, name above all other names. Let's seek God this morning, church.